0: This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Uh, But we are starting a brand new series today called The Resistance. And um, is there any um, teenager or uh, young person out there, or maybe you used to be a teenager, and maybe you went through a rebellious phase. Anybody out there like that? The rest of you lion. lying. Uh, had a stage like that, and maybe when I was young too, uh, you know, a couple times I had to go to detention or whatever it was called or something, and then one of these occasions I think it was grade four or grade five. I'm not exactly sure what happened. I'm pretty sure the teacher was wrong. But I got invited to stay after school. Uh, You know, we had to sit into a room, and there was three or four other people there, like-minded individuals, who um, were also invited to stay after school. And so the teacher that was there that day had to leave the room for a reason. Uh, we don't know what it was, maybe the bathroom, maybe they were bored, we're not sure. So a bunch of us who were invited to stay after class got to be in a room together, alone, without a teacher. So, I know, you know where this is going. So, a bunch of us decided, since we had this newfound freedom, a teacher not there, we decided to walk on the desks. And it was one of those desks, you know, where the seat was attached. Um, and one of the things that I figured out that... These are not the most stable things to walk on. If you get off center, um, you know, it had, had a center post, but it didn't have a post on either side to sort of balance it. So as I was running down the aisles on top of the desk, one of the desks actually kicked out from underneath me and I literally landed on my head. Um, And I think it was the only concussion I ever had. I never had a concussion just playing sports. But as I was walking home that day, I kind of had double vision a little bit, and I was really tired. And I woke up the next day, and I was okay. Um, But, you know, maybe... All of us, growing up at some t- at some time in our lives, we have been resistant to authority or resistant to rules. And a lot of times, to our own detriment. That it, you know, it maybe takes some maturing or maybe takes some growing up to realize that the things that we're resisting a lot of times are actually there for our benefit, for our help to keep us out of danger. And one of the things that we actually want to talk about in this series is: Is there things in our lives? That we should resist? Is there certain activity, is there certain circumstances that we would face? You know, a lot of times we just want to rebel against rules and, you know, for no reason at all, other than we just don't like them. But is there things that happen to us in life that we are supposed to resist? Or are we living in life in such a way that everything? that happens to us is somehow um you know people say a lot of people say everything happens for a reason or or people think that everything that happens to them, good or bad, is, is contained within the sovereignty of God, so we're just kind of a leaf floating through the world and whatever happens to us is actually supposed to happen to us, so why would we ever resist anything at all? And I think the scripture actually teaches us the opposite as we look at some of these verses as we go through this series, that in Jesus' life and ministry, and then the Apostle Paul, some of the verses that we're going to read from him. And he's actually teaching us to resist certain things in our lives. Let's read here in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says this. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith... Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So in other words, there's a lot of things that just happen to everybody all of the time because we are living on this broken planet. This is where these two verses end up. That everybody's facing stuff as we live in the world. But what are we supposed to think about the things that we're facing? Are we just supposed to lay down and just say, well... Keserah, keserah, whatever will be, will be. I guess this is just my lot in life. Or is the Apostle Paul saying something else? What does he say? Resist. That the enemy, the devil, is seeking someone to devour. The, the word devour just means to swallow whole. It means to eat you up. Not like the big bad wolf, but he wants your life to be ineffective. So when we come up against things that cause our lives to be ineffective or slow us down or take us away from, you know, God's path in our life, what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to sort of give up and lay down? Apostle Paul says this, resist him firm in your faith. So there's an aspect of our faith in God. We put our trust in God, but because we have faith in God, we are supposed to resist certain things that come our way. Why? Because the enemy is trying to devour us. The enemy's trying to slow us down. The enemy is trying to get us off track. And we all know in our lives at different times that we have gotten off track. We've made choices and we've done things and we've maybe been influenced in a certain way that we made a choice and then the choice didn't work out. What is the scripture telling us? Resist. That we would push against. That's what the word resist means. It means to stand against. It means to oppose. Now, a lot of times we just oppose God's rule in our life. We, we oppose the lordship of Jesus in our lives inadvertently, and we're opposing things that are actually there to keep us safe and are there for our benefit, a life of obedience. But we don't want to be opposing the things of God. We do want to be opposing the things that come from the devil, the things that come from our enemy. Scripture says there is an enemy. There is an enemy to our souls. Now, what is... What is the purpose of us resisting these things? What is the purpose of us maybe resisting temptation that would lead us to sin? Is, is us resisting these things? Is it just for the purpose of us not feeling guilty? Not feeling some sort of religious guilt or sort of feeling bad about ourselves? Oh, and because God doesn't want us to feel bad about ourselves, He wants us to resist the enemy. And I would say that there's actually something deeper, something more... Um, something big, something, um, a, a bigger meaning behind the idea of God wanting us to resist the enemy. There's a, a deeper purpose behind it. And it, it would be this, that you actually have a purpose for your lives. You have been given something by God. You have; He has intended something for you, for your life, to be effective in a lot of different ways. He wants you to be effective as an individual. He wants for you to be effective in your family. He wants you to be effective on the job and the community. And he's wanting you to accomplish something, to be bringing his goodness and bringing his kingdom, to be bringing his power with you everywhere you go. So there's kind of a profound idea, not, oh, he just wants you to avoid religious guilt. So he doesn't want, he wants you to resist the enemy. No, he wants you to resist the enemy because there is actually a purpose for your life. There is something for you to do and something for you to accomplish. Because the scripture says the enemy is wanting to get you off track. He's wanting to devour you. He's wanting you to to be set aside to have your life not be effective. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to oppose that. We want to resist him because we have faith in God. Revelation chapter 12 gives us an understanding about the enemy or the devil. It says this, And that great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. Now these are supposed to be um, illustrative terms for us. The devil is not a a dragon. He's not a snake. He, uh, He doesn't wear a red suit. He doesn't have a pitchfork. At Halloween, This is not who the devil is. Um, We're going to see these descriptive terms though. It says, called devil and Satan. It says this, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, there's a lot of people that are a little bit, um, I guess there could be either extreme. There could be people that would sort of, well, you know, the devil's not a big deal, and, you know, we shouldn't really worry about it, and all these different things. And then there's people that are sort of hyper- um, devil and demon conscious, then everything is a demon and everything is the devil. And I think, um, I, I don't know that either extreme is, is valuable to us. I, I think that we, we want to see what the scripture says and, and to understand what the scripture says. So we're not thinking the, the devil is a dragon. He's not some sort of mythological creature. But these two descriptive words help us to understand. It says the deceiver and the accuser. And a lot of these things have to do with our thought life, how we would think about our lives. Because really, if, if the devil and, and demons were that powerful, they would just kill everybody all the time. They're not that powerful, so we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be fearful, and we don't, you know, don't be... It's way more important for us to be God-conscious and aware of our righteousness than it is to us to be worried about demons and devils. But we do want to be aware that we have an enemy. And what are the tactics of the enemy? Accusation and deception. Accusation and deception. That we could either be, you know, accused... And, you know, so much of our life, it's important for us to know that we have an identity in Christ. That we are a son and a daughter of God. And a lot of times, accusation comes in in such a way that it's trying to put us down, it's trying to tell us we're a nobody and we're no good. And then the idea of deception, deception could be either we have a too high view of ourselves or a too low view of ourselves. It could be really arrogant, nothing, you know, I'm untouchable and I'm the greatest and I'm the smartest and everybody should think like me. Or I'm a worm, I'm a nobody, I'm useless, I can't accomplish anything. That we can fall into deception on either range and become ineffective. So we don't want to fall to accusation. We don't want to fall to deception. And we want to understand that God actually wants us to oppose these things that would come against us. Sort of a deceiving thought that we would just end up thinking wrong. Now, it's Thanksgiving weekend. And, you know, when it comes to maybe relationships, sometimes we, we're, we're going to be, you know, getting together. Or maybe we've already gotten together. With maybe some people that we kind of have a love-hate relationship. We love them because we have to. They're our family. But then sometimes they drive us crazy. And, and maybe we can lose um, the thankfulness for the people that we see the most. And then deception can come in specifically within the context of marriage. And you could think, you could be deceived into thinking, well, you know, so-and-so Spouse is is better they have a better job and they're better looking and they're smarter and they're more supportive and they're more understanding and my my spouse is just look at them on the sofa over there and or look how they're dressed today and oh look at this and look at the and we can just be deceived and to be looking at someone else's spouse and be like oh look at the grass is greener over in that situation and, and we always we always can look at someone else's situation, and, and it, it's in, you know the grass is greener in someone else's yard, but you're not close enough to smell the poop in their yard. The grass is greener where you water it. And so, what we can do in this Thanksgiving weekend is to be thankful for the people that are in our lives, for even though that we see them and even though we know they're all all their faults and all their shortcomings, that God has blessed us with them. And so we can get off in our thinking and be deceived. Why? Just the enemy's coming in and he's wanting us to be sidetracked in our life. And see, there's something, it's subtle. He's not walking down the street in a red suit with the pitchfork. In the book of Acts, it says about the enemy, it uses this phrase, subtlety and mischief. He's coming in in subtle ways and we need to be aware so we can resist. We can oppose him and not just be thinking everything that comes our way is somehow God's will. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do you see the differentiation? We see about the enemy. He is the deceiver and he's an accuser. That he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Resist him in the faith. Jesus said, stealing, killing, and destroying. But Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. There is a differentiation in the things that God wants us to receive and accept and the things that he wants us to resist. We shouldn't just be laying down under circumstances that God is not desiring for our lives. It just sort of, well, I guess this is my lot in life and I guess this is how it is. No. What did Paul say? Resist him in the faith. There is an aspect of our faith in God that's called, we have faith in God. Our ultimate trust is in God. But in the context of that relationship, he's saying, resist, oppose the enemy. In uh, Luke chapter 10, let's turn over there. Luke chapter 10, this is a famous portion of scripture where Jesus, we know that Jesus had his 12 disciples, but then his ministry grew and he had more followers, and he had about 72, he had the close 12, and then he had uh, 72 that were a little bit closer. Now in this chapter 10, he's sending these 72 disciples out, he's sending them out two by two, and he gives them a bunch of instructions about, you know, go into the city and don't do this and do this and... When you go there, if they don't like you, just, you know, leave the city and shake off the dust. And he gives them all these instructions. And he's sending them out there for a reason. He, he says, I want you to go and heal the sick. And I want you to bring the kingdom of God. And tell them that the kingdom of God is near. So after he has sent these 72 out, they've gone out into different cities and different places. And they come back and they have a report for Jesus. And they say this. Luke chapter 10 Such, there's so many good things in here. And you can see that they are come back and, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, right? Like, Jesus, you know, even, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he tells them about how, you know, Satan was cast out of heaven. And he says, you know, but don't rejoice over that. Be glad that you have an identity in heaven that your name is written in God's book. So don't get too arrogant. Don't become a hot shot now just because you had a couple good things happen. Remember the most important things. But here in this, in this portion of scripture, he gives us some understanding, and he, and he tells us some things. Now he says this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, being cast out of heaven, that the, the devil basically is famous for trying to overthrow God. He's trying to say he was, um, that he, his throne, he was trying to ascend his throne over God, and this is always our problem, that we want to be the highest place, In our lives as opposed to having God the highest place in our lives. So he got kicked out of heaven for that reason. And then he says this to his disciples. He says, behold, I give you authority. Now this word authority, in the Greek, it's exousia. And it means delegated influence. Delegated influence. Now, uh, there's scriptures that say power and authority. And here we see the word specific Authority. Now, what is it when somebody has authority? We know we have policemen in our community, either uh, the city of Mississauga or Brampton, or wherever you may live. And there's um, policemen there, or we have the OPP, people that are authorized by the province or by the city. And that's what policemen have. They have delegated influence. We have paid our taxes, and we are, you know, we've given the power to the mayor and, and the people in our community to say, "Hey, we want these police around to serve and protect us." And they have delegated influence in and of themselves. They're not superhuman or they're not better than anybody else, but they have been given delegated influence within our community so that when we see the flashing lights, we pull over. And we don't look at our cell phone, right? We don't do this. We don't do these things. Um, you know, uh, I, I got pulled over once a long time ago, nothing recent. <laughs> um I happened to glance, my wife was my texting me. It was her fault. Um, I love the blame shift. so I glanced at my phone right just for her it was a, no it was why it was a while. I was looking at my phone, and so he pulled me over the flashing lights. Why did I pull over? Because he has authority in our community, and he 's got power it 's a gun and uh, So he pulled me over, and he said, you know, sir, are you looking at your phone? And I said, yes. And I, he was, like, actually taken aback that I didn't try to pretend that I did, like, lie or something. He's like, oh, okay, well, well, don't do it again, then. And he let me go. And this was before the fines were really high. Thank the Lord that he let me go. So always tell the truth to the policeman. Um, maybe they'll let you off. But I guess we shouldn't break the rules anyway. We shouldn't resist... The texting rules. So, and so he says to his disciples what? The 72, the disciples, and then the 72, and then us. What does he say? Behold, I have given you authority. That you and I have delegated influence from God's kingdom, nothing in and of ourselves, not because we're so amazing and we're the best Christians in the world and blah, 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 all this nonsense and our, our Christianity is better than everybody else, that's not why. That God has given us something in the heart and mind of God that Jesus, with his disciples, is telling them and he's sending them out to resist the activity of the enemy. Not to just lay down, well, he didn't say, that. well, you know, don't worry about all these bad things that are happening. Because all of these things that are happening are just happening within the sovereignty of God. And God is just choosing all of the bad and the good. No, he did not say that. He sent them out to oppose. And he says, I have given you authority. What does he say? To tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, was this like discipleship, pest control? Is this what they were doing? Like, they had machetes and they showed up at people's houses and they had, you know, discipleship, disciples of Jesus, and were like, hey, is there any snakes in here? Is there any snakes, any scorpions in in your house? No, you're good. All right, we'll see you next week. You know, is that what they were doing? No, this this is analogous language, all right? He's not. Jesus doesn't have a problem with snakes and scorpions. That these terms were used that, to help us to understand something about the enemy. Now, a serpent would be, or uh, would be a snake, it would, and we would use this phrase in the scripture. We see it's cunning, right? It's wise as serpent, harmless as dove. So this idea of a snake or the enemy is that it's cunning, it's subtle, it will sneak up on you, and then what is it? It's poisonous. We're not talking about actual snake venom. That there, There's things that happen in our lives, subtle things a lot of times that we just lay down to and that we don't realize or we forget maybe that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I have given you authority. I have given you something in me that you actually have something in God. And we're going to see here in a second, this is actually our ultimate purpose. This is what God has created us for. What does he say? I have given you authority to tread on serpents, cunning, something that's poisoning humanity. Scorpions, a symbol of danger. But once again, it's subtle. It's not, it's not a red suit and a pitchfork. That there's these things, these subtle things that are coming into people's lives that are just, oh, I guess this is just my lot. I guess this is how I'm supposed to live. No, what did he say? Resist. He said to his disciples, Listen, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you some delegated influence. Who's it coming from? It's coming from Jesus. It's coming from God that we would be resisting these things that are coming our way. Now when we think about here in a moment with Jesus and his disciples, a lot of times we get locked into maybe a religious view of this or maybe this is sort of Christianity's view of something. And when we go back to the beginning... We see this is actually Jesus returning us to our original place of humanity in God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds, and over the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. Everybody say, All the earth. And we are every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, dominion. What does that word dominion mean? It means authority. It's the same word that Jesus used there with his disciples. The same idea. Authority. So, what do we see there? Who did God give the authority of the world to? Who? Humanity. Why is the world in such a mess? Oh, if, if God were good... That we wouldn't have all of these bad things if we would just go back and read the scripture. Who has authority in the earth? Now people are nervous about this one. Who did God give authority to right back at the beginning? He said to man, I give you dominion over all of the earth. Now, once again, it's not for us to say, yes, I am this, and I'm a man, and I'm a woman, or I'm this, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's actually been given to us by God. So we're not going and doing our own thing, something that I could dream up, that the authority that God has given then to me as a follower of Christ, and as actually my ultimate purpose, I'm not going in and making something up and doing that. I am taking the ways and the wisdom of God, and that's the thing that I'm looking to enforce in my life. And so when things come against me, I'm not thinking, well, is this good or bad? I'm going to decide. I'm going to be the ultimate judge. No, I'm going to know from the mind and heart of God. I'm going to know from the ministry of Jesus. What did He resist? What did He come against that's what we come against. That's what we resist. That's what we push against and we oppose. It's not something in and of ourselves and our own greatness, but it is actually the purpose of our creation that we would have authority here in the Earth. So what are we supposed to do with that authority? Are we supposed to resist God's ways? Or are we supposed to resist the enemy's ways? We want to resist the enemy's ways, the things that are coming against, the things that are slowing us down, the things that are getting us off track. What did, what did Paul say? Resist him in the faith. That God wants us to think a certain way about ourselves and our relationship with him and then our place in the world. not just supposed to lay down and do nothing and just be a victim of life and just life is happening to me left, right, and center. No, you are happening to life. Empowered by God. Not doing your own thing, not arrogant in your own mind, but looking to do the works of God in your life. Resisting things that come against the mind and heart of God. And so what is, what is one of the things that we should be resisting? What is the things that we're all going to be facing? Now, one of the things that we all face, and we're going to see here um, in this portion of Scripture, is that we all face temptation. We're all going to be facing things in our life. Now, once again, back to my earlier point, God doesn't want us to resist temptation just so we won't have religious guilt. Okay? There's a bigger purpose there's something more profound than, oh, I just don't want you to be guilty, so, you know, I don't want you to sin, because when you sin, you're going to feel guilty, and then I don't really want you to feel... It's, it's, it's bigger ideas than that. Something more profound. And we can see that this is what the enemy was trying to constantly do to Jesus, but we have a very specific explanation in, um, in, in the Scripture about Jesus and the temptation that he faced and that we face. So let's read about it here in Luke chapter 4. Verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I guess so. Verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And he answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. That the first temptation that came Jesus' way, I mean, there's so many layers to these temptations. But how many of you know that what was at stake here was something bigger than Jesus just feeling guilty for turning a stone into bread? I mean, because he could have done it, right? It's Jesus. No sweat, no problem is is the thing at stake here oh you know jesus i don't want you to feel guilty so don't be misusing your power even though you probably could and, you know turn the bread turn the stone into bread or was it or was the enemy after jesus purpose it was after his purpose See, a lot of times when we are maybe giving into temptation and then we feel bad afterwards and we we do the thing again and we said we would never do it and we promised God and then we did it again and then we feel bad and we feel worse, a lot of times this just gets us in a cycle that just moves us off of our purpose. And see, this is what the enemy is after. And then religion comes in and makes you feel guilty and then you spend your whole life feeling Guilty, about, all, and it's just a waste of your mental energy, and it's a waste of your time. And this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to deceive you. He wants to accuse you, and then you do something, and then he accuses you. Uh, you know, oh, what kind of Christian are you? And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm useless, I can't do anything. And then, then he, and then he brings the temptation. He says, oh, here, here take this, and, and, and eat this, or consume this, or, or be a part of this. It's so good, it's, it's going to be great, don't worry, it won't hurt anybody. And then you go ahead and do it, and then he comes to you, and you're like, oh, what kind of Christian? I mean, he is just a deceiver. After you do the thing, and then he makes you feel bad for doing the thing that he's enticing you to do. But let's not be, let's not give in to those tempts. Let's not be unaware of what he's, he doesn't have a red suit and a pitchfork. He doesn't have some big, huge power that we should be scared of. What is just a deceiver. And an accuser. But he's after your purpose. Just like he was after Jesus' purpose. So what, what are the purposes of your life that are more important than just a momentary thing, some temptation that I would give into? We're going to see there's sort of three different areas here. What, what are the purposes that are bigger than those things. What are the purposes that are bigger than maybe just partaking of sin? Because we know sin is a detriment to us. It hurts us. It damages us. And sometimes it hurts innocent people. He's after something bigger. So let's oppose him. Let's resist the devil. Amen? Amen? So what is it? He came to him and he said... uh, Here, turn this stone into bread. Obviously Jesus was hungry. And there's nothing wrong with eating bread. And we all have desires within our body. There's there's physical desires in a lot of different ways. We have sexual desire. We have uh, food desires. We have all these different things. And those have been given to us by God. But when we take those desires... And we put those at the center of our lives and those that desire this desire that we just get consumed with desires desires are not wrong desires are not evil but when we take them and make them the centerpiece of our lives that's when we could get off track would anyone like to admit that sometimes your desires get you off track they do and this is something that everybody faces so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just give in to all of those desires all the time that our lives would be consumed with those desires? No, that we would resist. And that we would not let our desires, our physical desires, control him. Control us. Verse 5. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him... Now, do you understand this is Jesus' purpose in life? That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Right? That this is his ultimate place. And he's showing him. We don't exactly know how this happened. But we're reading the scripture here. We have some understanding about it. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him. To you I will give all of this authority. And their glory. For it has been delivered to me. This is what the enemy is saying. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus said answered him it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve now what is at stake once again what if Jesus had just given in to one of these was it just a minor thing or was it kind of a big thing it was a big thing why because the enemy was after his purpose he showed him all of these things look at this kingdom and look at this kingdom and look at this kingdom look at this thing Do your eyes ever get you in trouble? We can have this, and we can have this, and we can get this, and we can buy this. and The things that we look at. And this is something that all of us faith desires, and then something that we would see. Something that we could consume, and specifically within a consumer society, there's things all of the time for us to buy and shop for and get, right? And then they advertise to us and we're like, yeah, I need that. My life sucks without that thing. I need to go get it right now. And then you get it home and you're like, why did I buy this? I don't even need this. Why? What, what got us in trouble? Our eyes. Verse 9, And he took him, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. Verse 11 And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So here is the enemy quoting and twisting Scripture. We won't get into that. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time. So what, what would have happened if Jesus had have done this? If he had have just gone up And and thrown himself down, and the angels, and then so if he did this amazing special miracle, that he's going to get all of this attention. Is oh, this thing happened, this great thing, and Jesus was protected, and so he was going to get all of this attention. And the other thing that all of us face is pride. We just want attention, and we want good attention, and we want more attention if we don't get enough attention from the people in our lives, we're going to go on Facebook and get it. <laughs> you don't like me, but I got 25 likes on Instagram because of an amazing shot that wasn't totally faked. And uh, why? Because it's just pride. It's just pride. And so here are these subtle things, these desires... the the stuff that we would see and then just the scripture says here in a second we're going to read about it just pride it's not a red suit and a pitchfork it's these things these things that came to Jesus and that Jesus had to face it's the same things that we face and it's the same things that Eve faced in the garden Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 Adam and Eve it says so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. So the tree, what was it good for food? Desires. A delight to her eyes. It looked good. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The pride. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. First John chapter 2. We're almost finished. Ellen, come on up. First John chapter 2, verse 15. So here's the temptations that Jesus faced and we all faced. That we all face every day, all of the time. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, that's not talking about people. This is talking about attitudes. This is talking about stuff that we would just get from culture. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world are the desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is it? Desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, depending on our personality, depending on our past, depending on a thousand and one different things. One of these could be huge for you. Now, you're going to face all of them. But one of these could just be like tripping tripping you up and tripping you up and tripping you up and tripping you up. So what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to say, oh. I guess this is how it is. I guess this is just how my life is. I guess this is maybe what God is intending for me. Which to me is the craziest one. That Jesus said to his disciples. Giving you authority. Paul said, I want you to resist the enemy. And here's the deal. You can do it. Not in and of your own strength. Not in your own power. Or in your own amazing Christianity. Or in, oh, I've read the Bible this many times and I've prayed this many hours. And because of that, then I'm extra good and I can do it. No, it's just, it is actually your original purpose. That God, just like he did, Adam and Eve, has given you authority here on the earth. You can resist the things that come your way that are tripping you up that are getting you sidetracked that are getting you focused on things you shouldn't that are getting you consuming things that we shouldn't that are getting us to think certain things about ourselves and attention that we need to get that really we are better than that not because we're better than that in and of ourselves but we're better than that because of God's purposes in our lives. Now, I don't say all of what I said today to make anybody feel guilty or to think less of yourself or to walk out oh, and sort of feel, I give, yeah, I gave into that and I gave into that I gave into that. At the center of our gospel story is that God forgives. God forgives us. For our sin. For the, the, the times that we've given in to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And what does he say to us? Oh, I want you to feel guilty for two weeks and I want you to feel guilty for a month. And it's like, no, get up. Get up. Get up. Let's go. Let's go forward. Together. Because you have a purpose today. And you have a purpose tomorrow morning when you get up to fulfill That you can be a mom and a dad and you can be a husband and a wife and you can be an employee and an employer. That you bring the kingdom of God and we are going to resist the things from the enemy. So that we can be living out the purposes of God in our life. So none of what I said today was to make you feel guilty or feel down. It's actually the opposite. So that we can be aware So that we don't have to live underneath The guilt of it all Oh, I guess my things are worse than everybody else's The things that I've done are worse than everybody else's No, Paul said at the beginning This is stuff that everybody faces And there's no sin too big for God There's no mess up too big for God That he just looks at you and is like Well, I guess it's over There's no mistake that you made that God doesn't walk up to you with his hand out and says, get up, let's go again. His power is bigger. His blood has washed it away. The gospel story is still true regardless of what you have done. Get up and resist. The scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God, that is you, overcomes the world. Yeah, but this, and I haven't done this, and I'm in this, I, I've made this mystique, and, I, and I've given in to the flesh, and I've given in to the lust of the eyes, and oh, I've just got so much pride. Don't let the enemy keep deceiving you. Don't let the enemy keep accusing you. We're aware of his tactics. So what does God say to us? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God? Right back to being empowered by Jesus. This is the gospel. That we're not going out in our own strength, and our own goodness, and our own religiosity to try to take a stand against something. No, we, we don't measure up. But we're going out in the power of Christ. That he has empowered us to resist the works of the enemy in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. We resist. We push against it. We oppose the things of the enemy. Why? Because he has given us authority in his name. We don't have to be afraid. We shouldn't be staring at our past and our mistakes. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith in God. The one who overcomes on our behalf. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your words today. We're so thankful for your goodness that you have overcome for us. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.